So, uh, welcome to Brave Space Live, a show about anti-oppression, communal healing. Each week we pick a hard-hitting topic and dig right into the awkwardness. And today it's awkward because I'm sitting here by myself. Anyway, you all know me. I'm Tyshell. I'm a trained social worker, educator, and diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner. Today, Mel is out, but I did get a special guest. I, like, dragged him over. So, and I brought one of our producers. He actually chose the topic for today, which is Stolen Museum. So I'm gonna welcome my special guest and longtime friend, Benjamin. Hi, Tyshell. Hello, everybody. So my name is Benjamin, he, him. I'm an avid arts enthusiast, Francophile, and New Englander turned New Yorker. And when I told oh. him, to, when I told you to do this, uh, this intro, I was like, Francophile? He's so fancy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not too fancy. I just like all things French. He, Most he everybody. He yeah. really, really does. I do. Like all Je things. Don't aussi. Don't, yeah. Look at oh, look, I'm fancy today. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if Ben was camera ready, but because Mel is out and he chose the topic and he was around, I was like, yes, Ben, you come and you come talk about this. So, so first, I want to ask you, what made you choose this topic? So. I love the arts. They've always been a part of my life. So museums in particular, at least for me, growing up, went to museum, constant field trip, um, no place, of course, I, I say trip growing up. And as I've gotten older, uh, come to still value museums. And this might be dramatic to say, but Tishel knows I can be dramatic, so this might be no surprise. Can be I can remember going to see, it was the Alexander McQueen Savage Beauty Exhibit at the Costume Institute at the Met. At Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York City and just it was so impactful and powerful and as I've gotten older and maybe thinking museums more critically I think museums have a stereotype of being these stale old-fashioned unchanging things but if I give the example of the Met we think how are museums relevant you think of the Met Gala yes it's red carpet and fashion but at the end of the day it's a fundraiser for the costume, costume institute at the Met so they still play this role. And I think now as we're looking, you know, casting critical questions to things we love and even institutions, museums are no different. And I think it's only until recently that museums and their communities and um, patrons and people who work there are asking these same questions. And I, it's a really cool, I think interesting topic that maybe can sound not accessible or maybe too academic, but I think we can make it accessible and I'm excited to dive into that today. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll say, Ben is, has been a friend of mine for a while. We actually lived in New York City together. We met We did, there. we did. We've done some museum trips together. We saw, yeah, we've gone to the Costume Institute together, yeah. We did, we've gone up and down. We've gone to so yeah. much. I think we went to a Met exhibit to, together and it was it was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. We've gone to yeah. lots mm -hmm. of MoMA art galleries, mm -hmm. all of the different mm -hmm. things. Because like when you're in New York, why wouldn't you go to the museum, the, the galleries right. and the museums near Dumbo and the Met and the mm -hmm, Jewish Museum mm -hmm. and all of the things. Mm -hmm, so yes, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this topic with you, but because neither one of us are like actual professionals in this, 
Um, we're so happy to have a guest star, so or a guest speaker. I don't know if she maybe well, I'm gonna call her a star. I don't know if she's. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's a star. star. Yeah, I would. Agree I think with she's you. a star. Yeah. So uh, let's bring on our special guest, Seema Rao, who's worked in museums for 20 years, doing interpretive culture work and digital content development. She's found uh, found blogging at Museum 2.0, consulting at Brilliant Studio, and on Twitter and TikTok as ArtLustB. So, uh, like, welcome, uh, Seema Rao. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be oh here. Oh my god! Yay. So we we are we are novice in this area. Mm -hmm. uh, ben more than me. He will go listen every week. He has a studio or or a play or a museum trip planned. I have only gone to like I we lived in New York together and Broadway shows, museums, all of that. I would go if Ben was going. He would drag me to them. We saw My Fair Lady. We've seen things. We've seen many things on and off Broadway. So he loves all things arts. But I am a novice in this area, and I'll that's say awesome. that's awesome. You know, I I'm, I'm sure I'm representing like the the vast majority of people who go to music. Well, the vast majority of people who patronize museums more absolutely. than the people who are like experts in it. So we absolutely. wanted to have you on. Absolutely, it's a really small sector, right? Because museums don't have a lot of money, and so and they love to make you know employees do at least two or three jobs at once. So we don't. Right. There's not a lot of us. And once many many years ago, though, I've now found this on my TikTok channel. Most people don't, um, I did a study, I was doing an evaluation. That means you're like marketing research basically. And people are like, um, other than like the cool stuff behind the scenes of museums, like looking at storage, people don't care how they run. They just mm. don't, which kind of makes sense. Like, I don't really want to know what's happening. I mean, I almost you don't think- want, You don't want to know how the meat is made or how- That's why I was trying to say, I was trying to think of a nice way not to say um, how the sausage is made. But yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, you don't, you, don't, you don't think about it, right? You don't, right. and it doesn't matter to you, but it should. Look, I was thinking today, somebody was saying something about, uh, somebody sent me a media message from mm -hmm. another institution. I'm only consulting now, but I was at um, the Akron Art Museum and before that, the Cleveland Museum of Art. And so a lot of my friends send me media messages. And so there was a controversy at, um, and I think I could say it, the Guggenheim Bilbao had a big controversy that just came up, which is not about stolen artworks, but I think it's kind of germane. It's about an artist who stole imagery from another artist. So oh, uh, the yeah. artist who was the original owner's name is Day Day Studio. It's a um, African- Oh, I did hear about this. Yes, it's, and I don't know if it's an African-American or a black European. I don't remember the, I know that right, they are right, black, right. but I don't know where they are from. Um, right, okay. But uh, they're showing um, American, black American cowboys. And so mm -hmm. a, 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 somebody who was from the Basque lands appropriated the images without licensing them and so i was talking to somebody i was reading the the statement about it and um a lot of people on i was saying that you know i was saying oh i did a TikTok about it and she was like yeah did anybody get it and i was like no and what i think they didn't get was they didn't get actually that their voice matters right. that's the point they didn't get. i think they understood the thievery and like the you know like and i think like when you understand like think of artwork being stolen you get like, cause you have stuff, right? And if somebody walked mm -hmm. into your house and like took my earrings, I'd be upset. You get that part. Right. But I think you don't understand like the machine of it. 
Right, right. So I would, let me let me ask you a couple questions. So one, yeah. I, w- I would love to hear you. You started to talk because we'll just jump into this topic like I love full it. force. So I wanted yeah. to um, just hear a little bit about like your background, what got you into working in museums, and then kind of maybe we can jump into the topic of like. I think most people do, don't even understand how museums run. We just go, we see stuff, and we're yeah. like wondering about it. And then the only thing, the only time I think we think even deeper about it is when we read the plaques and where it's from, but not like how it got there. So, anyways, yeah. let's start with yeah. um, what got you into museum work, why, and what you do in museums. Sure. So I um, largely do interpretation, largely digital interpretation is the word museums use for content. So mm-hmm. I write stuff, I do PR, I do anything that like tells a story about art. Okay. So often on a digital platform, so websites, you know, uh, kiosks, all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that, those are, the kiosks are, are, are very helpful because I'm a very <laughs> audible and visual person and, and a plaque is like, that's real stale, but if I can listen to or read or like touch, so thank you for your work. Thank you. We work so hard. You have no idea how, it's how not, many it's so much history. My audio right? tour, how you have to like parse it out. So thank you. Um, so that's what I do now. I consult on it. I have done it as like in house, you know, as the staff member, mm-hmm. and now I'm doing it out of house. Mm-hmm. Um, how I got into it, and I think actually this is part of the problem for museums. I got into it because I really liked art. I like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Ben, you were saying, and I loved that show too, that Costume Institute show was just breathtaking, right? And it was mm-hmm. beautiful. But, you know, Costume Institute is a great example. I was sort of livid about this year's Costume Institute um, topic. It was the Gilded mm-hmm. Age. The Gilded mm-hmm. Age was a time when, like, America was in the dumps because you had one of the, the second largest wealth disparity ever the first largest is now. So we're like mm-hmm. celebrating how crappy Americans Excuse my language. How bad no, Americans fine. Yeah. Um, So I think that I went into it with that kind of the beauty of it and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And it was really when I started working at museums, one of my first jobs at the museum, I was doing, I was teaching in the galleries um, and I was working at, um, at, at a museum and they had a big Asian collection, which is what I wanted to teach. And so I was teaching in the galleries and um, I, Cleveland is actually very multi-cu- multicultural. So most people don't look at me and go, where are you from? I mean, they do, but not like, it's not like some places in Ohio where you, it, this Cleveland is not like you picture Cornfield, Ohio. And right. so somebody came up to me and he goes, but like, what ethnicity are you? And the person was also South Asian and he had an accent. And I said, oh, my family's from India. And he said, oh, oh, because I'm from Nepal. And I said, oh, that's cool. And then he said, and this work has been stolen. And I was like, oh. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I was like in graduate school, like 20 some years old. And I was like, oh, they don't teach you this in graduate school. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd like um, messaged my boss and I was like, oh, come on out. And she was real excited to have an ethnic person. And I do think like a thing my museums have a hard time with is they really want more people of color to come, but they're not sure how to do it. And they often think like mm-hmm. they want to see their own stuff, right? So like mm-hmm. you'll see like museums install a gallery full of black artists to draw black, you know, view- visitors, often using white curators, things like that. So there's lots of problems. Mm. Oh, I got a question about that later. Okay, we'll talk about this. <laughs> I definitely have one of those. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. so, but the thing I think that was important that I did back then, this is so many years ago, 20 years ago or whatever, 
I think that we used to think of museums as, I think Ben said it, like these kinds of on a platform places that don't change and mm -hmm. that we didn't have the right to ask where this was from. And now actually that institution is the Cleveland Museum of Art and they have given back a lot of stuff, Cambodian stuff, Greek and Italian stuff. They've been very good about repatriation because, you know, it isn't necessary. It's not a good thing to hold things that you shouldn't have. It's it's like legally bad. It's uh, politically mm -hmm. bad. It's personally bad, you know, and so um, I'm luckily I've never been in the position where I literally have to repatriate anything. But I certainly have had to be there when people ask us questions about where it's from. And um, I think and it's that's a, better to be in that position where you can say, you know what, we're working on it. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's right. a good question in that you were when you were when you first started talking, you were talking about like this ability to ask where things are from, because one mm. of the in, in, in preparation for this episode, I was watching a video about about museums and they were saying, oh, you know, museums are public institutions, which a lot of them are not all of them right there are some private museums private collections or any in any, any way maybe not museums as a whole but like i'm from philadelphia so there there's the, the 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 barnes the barnes museum is a private collection so it's not technically a museum it's a private collection and the thing about barnes is that he wanted it set up the way it was set up in his house so everything is know, it's, it's crazy right also it's so a weird. little weird um, and I've visited museums a lot. Like Philadelphia has like one is one of the cities that has like more museums. And and I also learned in preparation for the show that it's like where museums started, which is which is really interesting, but also still iffy about how it started because then it went into like circus stuff. But but mm -hmm. the the thought going back to what you were saying, the the thought that we can ask questions because it's a public institution just like never occurred. The only thing I know about museums is I should not touch the shit in there. Like that's the the yes, only yeah. thing I know. Unless, unless there's a special thing that you can touch. Right. But right. I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was gonna say too. Along with that, it's like almost like libraries where you're encouraged to like be quiet. Like, and I and I have fallen prey to like liking this and trying to enforce it and thinking why. Why do we have to be quiet if we're looking? Like, shouldn't talking and is shouldn't talk shouldn't talking and questioning be a part of this experience? If these are you know mm -hmm. public institutions that are made to like you know yeah. enlighten the population and make you know broaden our minds and, and perspectives. So, and you know, uh, museums are slowly that. changing the talking thing. They definitely don't want to be quiet. They have nighttime events. I've run a million very loud events in my career. Uh, but I would say to go back to the thing, it doesn't matter where the money is coming from or how the mm -hmm. collection started. It's a public institution. Right. Museums get funding. Any museum, almost every museum, like certain places that have a huge private donor, like the Broad in LA, maybe not, but most museums, even the Barnes, get money from a lot of federal funding sources, state sources, city sources. They are mm -hmm. also all tax exempt. Therefore, they're all public. And so you, we as the public have the right to ask. And the reason I think it's really important that we ask is that actually, if we don't and make them better, they're just gonna, they're gonna fall apart. Right, right. Keep like, doing, either keep doing what they're doing at the level that they're doing it because yes. nobody's questioning anything, that's right. right? And that's, that's right. The, it's just such an interesting thing because one of the things we're talking about, right, with this uh, repatriation and all of this, to me, it's so interesting because I'm not like a Marvel fan, but I definitely watched Black Panther like four or five times. And that scene resonated with me so deeply in that I've gone in museums for years and I've seen ancient, you know, African artifacts and we don't know what it meant to that culture when it was there, who it belonged to, how it got from from the people it belonged to, to here, right? And of course, 
with I think the or like the origins of all things and what we look at in systems is that so much colonization and racism is involved very very often mm-hmm. and belonging mm-hmm. to so I just think that that's a, such an interesting talking point but one mm-hmm. of the things I I ask too is like in your work why muse why do you think museums are and why you feel museums are like culturally relevant and something that we need in our society and then how can we make them better these are really big questions i'm sorry but no, like I how know. can we, how make, can we them make them better i think they're actually tied questions you know you said something that about that you know the scene in black panther to me mm-hmm. i think part of the thing that that the reason i think that that's a really important thing for museum pros that that was in there is that I don't know that people think of those things as theirs. Um, so I taught in the galleries in Cleveland, which is the Cleveland Museum of Art is um, in a university setting, but there is a number of historic black neighborhoods there. And I worked with a lot of those students. And you know, I think one of the things that I found really interesting is that a lot of those students, just because your skin is a certain color doesn't mean you resonate with any specific thing, right? So like. Right. Those kids didn't necessarily like our African galleries. Um, they liked our Renaissance galleries. Are you like, like, I don't necessarily, um, you know, res- Indian art doesn't necessarily resonate with me, right? However, there was one really important part about African art for those students, which was the fact that it was stolen. And, you know, that, so even if they're not, it's not about what they're looking at, the history of it is incredibly important because it, it's the same history mm-hmm. that they feel. Similarly, you know, Indian art left India and my family left India because of colonization. Right. So I think that the one of the things and the reason that the history of these matter is because it's also about the history of power and people. They're all tied together. And I think a lot of the things that we're talking about, you know, you say you're, you know, you do DEI work. I I did it for many years in museums. It's, It's so hard to talk about. And it's like, it's not it's not tangible it's it's very it's it's very hard but if you can say that this is an object that has a terrible history right and the congo is you know the uh, sorry the uh, works from the benin mm-hmm. the congolese work that are in belgium and then the works of the, from the benin that are everywhere um, those are very clear examples then you can actually have a touchstone that allows you um, to talk about it in a constructive way and then why do museum, like why is this all culturally relevant? I will say that repatriation is important, absolutely. But those are historical works of art. If you're gonna like do anything and you wanna act, be an activist about anything for museums and use have your tax dollars go to the right place, I think a bigger thing is who's telling the stories and why are they telling the stories? Exactly, yes. Because that's a bigger problem that's beyond just the works that have to be repatriated. Right. It's about right. the fact that like, People of color are being like misrepresented in galleries every day, mm-hmm. every like all the time. And and I think that even leads into a question or thought that I have, which is with uh, countries or maybe even own communities of people asking for objects back, there's a sense, and I think it's true of this um, paternalistic or patronizing attitude of museums that we know how to protect this or, or display or store better than you, mm-hmm. which seems like mm-hmm. clearly a very white colonialist imperialist uh, attitude. And I'm just curious why, why is it or what, where does it seem like there is this distrust that if a museum lets go of an object back to perhaps a local community or perhaps to a, a country of origin that they think if we send it off to them it'll be destroyed or gone forever when 
perhaps those people or countries have, have shown, we we know this. It's a part of us. We 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 promise we know how to be stewards of our own creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean you know, none of us here, none of who's listening, can imagine their brains without colonialism. Our whole system is constructed in that, right? Like you cannot get we cannot get out of the systems we're in. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, I don't know how not to be a colonial subject. And so for that reason, you know, in our construction of knowledge, like think mm -hmm. I was listening to a book on tape with my uh, teenager the other day, and it was about uh, ancient Egypt. And mm -hmm. she said, this story that they're telling about ancient Egypt just seems like a story about the British people. Because the way the person, it was a British author, and he was saying, you know, and then we learned from the Rosetta Stone, and we did this, and we did this. And she's like, I feel like there's some Egyptian people who would disagree. Exactly. And so we, just, we actually we actually returned the book. But I think it's a good, um, you know, that that's why we can't imagine returning those works, because we see knowledge being constructed in a certain way. I think mm -hmm. a good example is Nepali works. There's a huge, there was a huge outflux of Nepali works. Um, you know, there's there's been civil war, there's been challenges, but then before that, there was all kinds of situations. It was um, mm -hmm. in Nepal, and so those works are finally being returned. But where mm -hmm. they're being returned to and where the works came from were from uh, religious sites, and religious mm -hmm. sites don't have um, they don't have like humidity controls, and people touch them. You know, you said you don't touch works of art. You have to touch yeah. them right yeah, yeah. um and they might not be returned to the sites they might go to temple you know they might go to museums with the temple but still right, right. that's a different way of thinking of things than we mm -hmm. do yeah. and that difference is so large and our brains mm -hmm. just it like breaks our brains i think it's so interesting too because in your question ben and in, in, in sema in your answer it's also very infantilizing right mm -hmm. from the standpoint of right. uh colonialists think that everyone else is, is childlike and doesn't yeah. know how even if you created it they're like well you don't know how to handle these things they're like just because you put it in a fucking glass case and put a guard next to it does not mean you know how better because one you're not for some for some of the artwork and I, and I think about this um, in both movies and, and, and even when I've been in especially like I went to the, the 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 I call it the black so we call it the Blacksonian, which is the the museum yeah. of um the museum yeah the, the one DC. In, in DC. I want to I want to visit yeah. that so it's bad, so, and it's so hard to do because it's so many floors. I just was oh. looking at this artwork and was and you know I understand that you shouldn't touch things because you want to preserve it, but just the thought that certain people know how to take care of things and certain people don't like i always go back to like we taught you how to you know for for indian people we taught you spices we taught you food maybe that you don't even use and for people of color like we taught you how to wash like you're gonna tell us that we don't know how to use things that you took from us that you are using in a way to display it which i think i mean i love museums for the the way it can teach right and that teachers can use it and that we all can use it to learn from but you can't say that this item that you have that's used for this thing that you're now just displaying and telling people what it's used for shouldn't be used for that thing and i understand that too the religious aspect of it is returning some of the objects to their original site won't work because to specifically 
not that it won't work, but that it's complicated because once it leaves, it's not, it's no longer right. sacred. It's so I understand sacred. that part of it, but that's not, I think, and I feel that it's not really up to the person who took it or the institutions that took it right. to, to tell people what right. they should, right. I, let me put it in right. my museum, who has let the me share decide, it. Right? right, who gets to yeah. decide? But like, you know, I think that the problem also is that museums were founded on broken principles. Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying, you're right that that the they the 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 role of a museum. And I will say, you know, I so many times in my career, I've had to turn down some project or not do something because we have to preserve the object, and you lose all accreditation if the object isn't preserved. So a museum's central role is about stuff and keeping it safe forever. Mm-hmm. The, the reality is that most of those things, like your spoon, wasn't made to be there forever, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a you have this conflict inherent in museums that is exacerbated by colonialism because museums really are about this idea that that the colonial people will make sense of this disparate and complicated world that cannot be made sense of, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So those are two those are the two founding principles of museums, and they're both fallacies, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's just this thought that, you know, because you you can't say, and I, I think it makes, make, makes me, what you say makes me think of like um, pyramids in Egypt, right? There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of year old things or or the, the structure itself that has been preserved by people, right? So to, you know, not yes. everything is supposed, one, not everything is supposed to last forever, as you say, right? Some things are supposed to go back to the earth. And I think that's also a problem with colonialism. And, and, and I guess I would say even a central problem of museums is that you can, if you take care of the earth, you can return things to it and you can get a new, um, which I think, I mean, which is why I, I probably like more MoMA than anything else, the Museum of Modern. I, I wanna see people who are doing things now as well. But I do, I mean, I like history, but I don't know, like who gets to tell that history, I think is also really, really important, right? Mm-hmm. Who's telling it and are they telling it correctly? Do they have a tie to it? So Ben, I don't know if you had another uh, another question for Seema, but I have, go, you go ahead and then I have another one that I really have been thinking about in, in preparation for this topic and overall. I, I guess it, it's actually the question that's coming up for me now is something I think Tashel, you mentioned in terms of history, it's like who is telling the story? Mm-hmm. So, and I think not just of what is written, but like folks such as you, Seema, like people of color who are in curator or interpreter roles, like how in your career, how have you seen that moved and move and shift? Because I will say, I think if I could think of a stereotypical museum docent, it is this um, retired white uh, woman, maybe with a nice like Hermes or vintage scarf, like wrapped around. Always a scarf, right? Always. always. Like a flight attendant, but like. My friend who always, goes, who's always at the Met sends me pictures of the Met store with mm-hmm. scarves. He's like, why yes. this scarf? Why is she wearing that scarf? Seriously. Oh, but wait, I do have a question too, because this is a big one. What do you think, and if you were a re- reimagining this like repatriation and returning art, 
how do you think that could best like work? Like, and you, you can, you can, you know, the, the sky's the limit on what you think could be. All great. right. Like, I like the you know, sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah. Sky's the, work. No, the sky's yeah. the limit. Um, exactly. I think to answer Ben's question, but I think I'm answering them together. You know, I think things have changed. They've definitely gotten better. I mean, I definitely know there's lots more, there's first of all, lots more curators of color. Mm -hmm. There's much, many more interpreters of color, educators of color. I also think actually, uh, the do docents are classically volunteers, and who gets to volunteer? Who can volunteer at two o'clock on Tuesday, right? Yeah, that's and that's privilege. Point, yeah. And so a lot of museums are mm -hmm. moving away from docent teachers because why are we outsourcing the most important service the institution does in the pub to the public, which is to teach, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We, you know, we, you know, we are collectors of objects, but we are not storehouses. We are educators, right? So that you can't outsource that to freedom. So I think that for in terms of like repatriation of collections, it's hard. I really believe I was looking at, I was remembering that a lot of museums like the Frick in um, Pittsburgh have casts of objects that historically we now think of museums as being only places with authentic stuff, but lots and lots of museums had casts. And I do not think it's a bad thing to, I don't know that authenticity even matters to this generation anymore. It's not like I'm saying get rid of everything, but if something has a, has a problem, then we have the ability to make 3D casts. And I love the idea of that. Like for example, returning all the Benin bronzes to Nigeria and then having casts in those institutions. I also think my ideal is that then we also look at artists um from those places and then bring those but pay for mm. them i don't mm -hmm. steal them but pay for them and you know like i think of i worked with an artist from ghana on a show whose name is rafai zakari and he's doing really exciting new work i was i've looked you know looked at a lot of ghanaian artists are really hot right now and i see their work and it's really exciting so what if you know what if we focus on that as well because yeah. repatriation isn't just the only thing there's also people who need jobs now we need to make brings up a really good thought process that I had never thought about. Well, one blew my mind with the casting thing, which I think is amazing. Same. It should, that it also be like, it should oh, be right, like, 3D printers, duh. We have, we have this, they can make anything. Right. Why and not? it shouldn't be, because yeah. when I, when I was thinking about what that looks like, I never considered like a shell of something, something like this, that, you know, the yeah. 3D printing and all of that, we can do that. And mm -hmm. you're right. I think it's more about what what that object represents than it is about having the actual like i don't need whether it's a spoon from 3 bc or if it's a cast of to tell a story about the spoon from 3 bc um matters as well but i think the other thing that you talked about that's real i think is really important is that we look at other and i think is it, it, it kind of draws to this this other thought process in that we look at every other country as living in the past. So when we when we yes. think about their art, yes. we also think about them. Yes. Ben's like aha moments. Yes. I guess oh as you can see, Ben's my mind is right? like, my, my my wheels are turning in my head. Yes. Right. So we think about every other country as like a past in living in the past. So we think about the only things that they have to contribute are things from the past, and it's in like especially in like a savage, what we would call like a savage like way, like oh these are their objects and we use them for this thing and it, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that's so interesting, and I and I love that point that you brought up, and I probably I never would have thought of it. So shouts out to you and just this thought process that there are artists now doing amazing things now and why not engage with them now and not just look at a museum 
as a historical site, but also a living, breathing thing about, you know, collecting. And I think that's also the difference. This is the last point I was thinking about is the difference between this cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. If people get to own their own shit, then we can, then I don't mind sharing with with you. But if you come into my house and you take it, it feels a lot different than if I gave you a piece. That's right. Like, hey, here, let me give you my earring. Right. I don't know how to get on a camera, but you know what I mean? You know, like I could do that. That's, that is a valid way for me to share my stuff. Right. And I say you walk over and take it, not okay. (laughs) I always say to my husband, like when I share food with him, like he'll be like, oh, just save me a piece. And I'm like, I'm not giving you the last piece of my stuff, but I want, I'm asking you, would you like to have some, but I'm just not going to give you the last of it because I want to have some for myself as well. So we have this whole conversation Mm -hmm. about this. He knows now not to ask me for the last piece or ask him to save him some. But I just think about like being able to share your own stuff, even if it's symbolic, like I don't care if if I hand it to you and you hand it back to me it's about the ownership and the be able to tell okay. your own story but i do think the the casting and the what are yeah. artists doing now around the world because we need to appreciate people for what they're doing now and what yeah. things look like yeah. now and not just say oh this came from this broken down third world as we call it country or continent yes. or whatever this yeah, is continent. now this is what they're doing now right well, well we will cast out an entire continent and be like That's they're right. all living in huts and you're like no they are more you know it is amazing right it's crazy i showed an artist um whose name is billy zangawa who is amazing and brilliant and does um applique textile work and uh lives in south africa and it's this beautiful the the work is is uh, billy zangawa's self-portrait in her apartment and um in in south africa it's like a high rise with like a beautiful she has a beautiful like um mirror around mirror in it and i was talking to someone and they're like where where was she i was like in africa like that's south africa and then we had another artist who was from cape town and they were showing all these images of cape town it's a illustration for a group called muti and people were like that's what that's what it's like i was like yeah that's what it's like i mean but see you can construct new you know that you're saying well, why does art matter because art constructs new ideas for people mm-hmm. but it's the beginning what ben said like steve McC- constructed new ideas it was wonder right and so you can it's choose so, the ones so you pick right. right because i also think this is also a, a a tab on colonization that hopefully museums can work with is that if we only show the past then we think of people in yeah. live as living in that time but if we show them yeah. now then that's we can talk true. about what they're doing now and how they are but i think that's right. also kind of like some american american like exceptionalism in that we know and they don't but i think mm-hmm. that i mean right because people when you think of when you think of things like uh, Mongolia or Africa or even different parts of Africa not, and especially when we're not talking about like th- places like South Africa but when we're talking about the Congo or we're yeah. talking mm. about Tanzania people just think wild and jungle and whatever and I'm saying mm. that knowing that that's just not true right mm-hmm. or we say like oh this you know right. we only know certain countries as being like forward thinking or we think about them that way but in that because that's how our our history books will tell us and that's honestly to some degree how our museums have told us but if we oh, are yeah, engaging absolutely. with things absolutely. now we could be like you don't collect uh 19th century italian um landscapes like why would you collect those is really right. the thinking right because that's not a height of that art in that period mm. um yeah absolutely absolutely but i also think it's this idea um 
it's it's about centering who's being centered in this story mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. i think about um like you know i mean like i don't like you think about an ex right like right. that ex's life ideally has ended when you walked away right, All like, the like, are right? Dead, like there's so. nothing good has happened they've never gone on vacation later but that's really what um that what our history is you know, when I said exactly. the thing about the 19th century, why why did I say that? Well, because the art history establishment decided that after, you know, the Rococo era, it was all about France. Right. right? And like, if you're mm-hmm. not in this field, you're like, well, why do you make those choices? You ha- And that's where, again, I just every time I want the public to be like, why did this happen? I want them mm-hmm. to be critical thinkers mm. and say like, hey, that's a bad choice. Why'd you do that? Maybe there is some great Italian, like, or whatever. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I think to me the biggest thing I hope people say is like, who's telling the story and why? Like, I have a I have mm. a major problem right now in the art world because repatriation is part of it, and so they're trying to find new, you know, ethnic stories basically because repatriation is coming, right? And but mm. then they don't necessarily want to see the power of the person telling the story. Mm. <laughs> So that's kind of my question too, right? Like that was the kind of question we were going into in these, who are these curators? And I, and I know, I mean, this was, there was a big kerfuffle as I'll use one of my, um, my elementary school words that just sounds really fun to say, but kerfuffle in the Brooklyn Museum a few years ago with a curator of African art as a white woman. And now she had some, um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to call her out, but she had some people who were supporting her because she, I think she went to school at Columbia who were saying she did this work and, and she should be able to curate. And then others were like, we're just so tired of having other people tell our stories where we can mm-hmm. tell our own stories. So I wanted to get, and Ben, if you had anything to add to that, I want to get your thoughts on that when we're talking about curating certain types of art, ethnic art and what, who should be doing that and why. So I would say that. um, So I'd say that one of the challenges I will say from the opposite is that Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in grad school, I had studied. I had wanted to study, actually, and I ended up studying it. But I had started. I wanted to study Western art. Mm -hmm. I was really excited in the art of what's called the Low Countries. What's you know now the Netherlands, Mm -hmm. and um, but then people were like, oh, but you're going to get a job if you study Asian art because you're Asian. And I, I will say, and I've had a lot of um, students over the years, grad students, who are, you know, eth- ethnically something. They're black, mm-hmm. they're, you know, East Asian, they're Indian, whatever they are. And people have said to them, you should study your people. And I understand that because I do understand that um, I might tell a different story. I was raised nominally Hindu, so I might tell a different story about those things than somebody who isn't. So I understand why the field needs that. But I think as a practitioner, to be siloed in that way is very hard as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that, yes, I do think that stories should be told by own voices. And yes, I believe in that. But I also feel for anybody who's in the field um, who maybe wants to tell a different story, you know, who wants to study like me, I wanted to study actually, you know, like something that was not of my ethnicity. And I do think that one of the things that's hard um, for people of color is that we're already being um siloed in many ways and so right, that story is being told for us by right and then we're being forced ways. to tell this other story maybe you don't want to tell the story so that part is true um so that's just my like my take on it that said i think the the opposite is also true these institutions have spent so many years hundreds of years and frankly still doing it 
you know, yeah. I, you know, I, there's a muse museum I know right now that has a complete gallery of black artists that was, there's not a black person who worked on it. And it, it, so the, to me, it's really interesting wow. because it's not as if you can't have, um, I think this is, a, it also comes into the same thing when we're talking about um, appropriation, right? If there was more equitable exchange, maybe this wouldn't be a problem. But exactly. if that's the only face I see, and that's the that's person right. who's getting the work becomes the problem, right? So I had this conversation um, recently with someone about, right, like who who's doing the telling of the story? Like, I don't want my story told through someone else's lens. And I think about that, but I, I also think that there, it doesn't, I, so I think one, when we're thinking about curators, if there's only one curator to every exhibit, that's a problem, right? Because maybe there are white children, other children who can learn this story um, from that person, but there should always be an exchange. There should always be more of a group effort. Yeah. And I think that becomes a problem because I will tell you when I saw that story, I was pissed. I was just like, what? Especially because it happens to, uh, and I, I'll speak from my experience from to, from black people. It happens in our music. It happens in our art. It happens in our food. What becomes popular? What becomes mainstream? Like right now, it's happening on the internet with AAVE, what used to be known as Abonics and now is known as African American yeah. English or Vernacular yeah. English. When I hear people say it's Gen Z speak or Gen Z yes. slang, it boils the blood to the top of my head and out of my ears like a cartoon character. Yeah. So to see it through the lens of a person who didn't experience it, I think can be really, really hard, especially for the public. And I don't wanna say that uh, you can't study something, but, I, uh, but bringing back to another thing, I had a conversation with um, someone um, someone recently, it was, a, it was kind of a contentious conversation about um, who should be the person in the front, right? Yes. And my problem yes. isn't that, so yes. I was talking to a person about, um, a person who identifies as LGBTQ. And they were saying, well, as long as you're helping, it doesn't matter to me. And I said, I, and so I said, see, and that's our fundamental difference. Because for me, I, as a black, cisgender, black, heterosexual woman who does work in DEI, would not be the CEO, the, the executive officer, or whatever of an LGBTQ organization. I wouldn't. That does yes. not mean that I wouldn't work there. I wouldn't yes. write the, the speeches for this person, but I think there's something to folks who look like you, who folks who lived experience tell their own story because I still think that it's infantilizing. Even if it's not like you, um, even, even if it's not like you gatekeeping or you not telling the story correctly, it still feels like I'm telling you what you need to know. And especially as a curator, if you're building the education and that kind of things for people, it's still not the people who did it. So that really, and, and I just, I like, I'm not going to, it, it, it feels very, the museums are, the museum kind of has this thing like where to me it looks like, oh, well, we have a, I have a, we have black friends in this gallery yes. here, but yes, white a lot is. of museums are using their black friends in the galleries. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I will say, you know, I think part of the thing is it's about power. So the, in the way the museums work is there's a curator who usually reports to the director and they're the person who has the oversight on largely on what goes into galleries, what exhibitions are put in. They work on a team usually with an interpreter. So I'm, I'd be that person in this role and I help shape the message. So like, for example, at one of the projects I just worked on, I, one of the things I feel very strongly about is if you're going to say the race of a non-white artist or person in a label in a room, then you better say white for the other one. We don't use it as a blank, right? You don't get to say like, 
blank art, you know, like it's not implied, right? You don't have it as like the silent white. Right, that's um, like the white right? is universal so, and everything right. else needs that's a right. name. So yeah, I don't, so yeah. like for example, that's the kind of thing I would do, that's an interpreter. But the curators have an enormous amount of power. They, for example, purchase the art. Um, the directors obviously have to sign off on it. And actually the mat isn't a huge repatriation problems right now because they've still, mm -hmm. they have works that are contested that they claim that they had nothing to do with Mm. Um, that are from Egypt, and actually, the the mm. head of the Louvre um, has been called up. He has like there's like a police, there's an active police case about it, and it's because wow. you know the problem about repatriation is it's all, and the problem with art museums, it's all about money. It is the largest unregulated market in the world, right, 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 and so it's all about money. Now, the opposite, the uh, curators also have this incredibly important power to return works. And like, you know, at CMA, what happens usually is it's all through di diplomatic channels, right? Like you go from mm -hmm. like country to country, then it goes trickles down to these curators, but they, you know, the Cleveland, they've given back works. Yeah. And it's really like, it's like high stakes. I mean, like I, you know, like you're in the building, you know, something's happened, but you don't do it. Like I didn't, I was too little. I was too peonish to be able to help with that. But, I know, and it feels very um, much like a movie where yeah. you're like, and I will say what had happened when I was at CMA, there was all these code words people were talking about. I was like, what's a refrigerator? Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> the raven is leaving the building. <laughs> the what? But I think, first? you know, it's important. Yeah. 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 I, I, go ahead, Ben. Well, I guess like it was building a question to Shelly mentioned about exchange. So I'm wondering, Seema, like, can that be a form of what repatriation looks yeah. like? Because I I'm, I read a story, was looking at a museum that I think they were having objects. I don't know if they were funerary objects, but objects I think tied to to death and mourning. And the mm -hmm. way they were describing the objects or people, someone from this community who was, these people are still alive, like that's incorrect. And yes. so it wasn't so much them returning the objects as it was bringing that community to yes. the museum and working with them about yeah. here's how to actually write about it. Yep. Here's how you display about it. And with them, they've given this group, I guess, I guess the privilege of being able to access it in ways maybe the public. So I thought, oh, what a neat way where maybe in this case, sending an object back, it truly doesn't work. But here they found this other way of of an exchange yep. where they're it is, brought it's in. It's happening, so, yeah. slowly but surely. I know with First Peoples groups, yes. they've done a couple of cases in Canada and Vancouver. They've done some stuff here in the States. And I think absolutely, though I will say that I think funerary objects is one of those ones, um, like religious objects, that honestly, mm -hmm. if they can't take it back, then I also don't know that it should be displayed. There's a lot of works mm. that museums have directly displayed that they shouldn't. And I think working mm. with groups, there's a lot, a lot of museums that are starting to think um, hard about that and mm -hmm. making choices, better choices. But you also said, I think, a really important word, something that has happened for a long time, actually, um, since like I've been in the field, but much, much longer than me, uh, certainly mm -hmm. there's cases in the 80s and 90s trade so like we shouldn't have had this one but maybe we can like buy that one Got so it. you return the thing and then you purchase something because it goes back right to the mm -hmm. fact that there was uh and i you know i think that that's really important there was an initial theft there was an right. initial really egregious thing that happened right and it's i was good yeah. I, I was gonna say it just i i just I'm I'm so glad you have, we have you with the Sema because I think when we're talking about it, it's certainly something I think that maybe, you know, time can certainly move slowly. And I think with larger institutions like 
it can it, it takes decades maybe in centuries for something to happen so it'll be interesting yeah. to see what will this look like near the end of the century because i'm thinking too like on a wider scale that um report i think it was 2018 that the french president commissioned with like french museums and on the national french museums i'm holding objects that came from illicit or dubious means and that was what 2018 so just four years ago so i i'm curious and it's more just a thinking out loud like what will the impact of that on like this international scale be you know come you know the year 2100 <laughs> you know something like that um, I, I, mean, I also think too, amazing. and I'll, yeah. and, I'll and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Seema. Like the economic impact, because we talked about how much yes. money yeah. this mm -hmm. is in museums, how much it can have an impact on the places that it came from to give yeah. back, sell back, buy back, all of these things, and then buy from those those places. Now, I think is an incredible economic, you know, thing that we can engage in, and I think that's a really interesting. So, I'd love mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think both of those are tied. I mean, I don't know, right? Like, because we have economic crises and we have climate mm -hmm. change and all these other things. But let's like imagine in the most ideal world mm -hmm. that if everything went back to where it was from um, and new things came to the West, like if it was a more equitable trade, how those con both countries would do better. Like, it, you, know, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, actually, you could do it in a way where you had economic impact on both sides, right. where there isn't an uneven economic impact. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I think it's very feasible. The question really is, the thing I fear about museums is that the structural change that would be required to make them equitable mm -hmm. means that the people who are in power now would have to lose power. And right. their level, the their amount of power is so great Right now, what they're seeding is only um, like kind of like, um, you know, just they're just pretending to give you power, right. you know, by putting up a gallery, by having white curators curate a gallery of black artists is showcasing that they are, you know, it's like somebody who's saying I am diverse. I'm into diversity. We're we're transparent. Mm -hmm. We're transparent. Right. <laughs> like, OK, you are right, 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 right. right. Or are you? <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, I didn't interrupt, but I was thinking too of you even with, um, I think of with uh, Silmar, but different, the issue, like with, when you look at the um, opioid crisis in the country and the Sackler family and, yeah. and how long, it wasn't until a couple years ago that the, the Met, we'll name them, and other museums have decided, yeah. oh, after careful about, we decided to make the right choice to, to remove their name. It's like, and it's hmm. crazy because like they still have so many Sackler things. There's the Sackler. I mean, part of the problem is this is also all about like the people who gave the art to the British Museum a couple hundred years ago. Mo many of those families are probably still incredibly wealthy. Right. You know, the Sacklers were very wealthy long before the opioid crisis and a lot mm -hmm. of Asian collections. I know that when I was working at the Cleveland of Art, there was this, there was Sackler donated things. Mm -hmm. Almost any Asian collection in this country has a Sackler tie. Mm -hmm. I was looking at on my TikTok, mm -hmm. I have it. So if ever anybody wants to look at it, there's a scene where the in the um, I don't know which one, but one of the James Bond movies where mm -hmm. um, who's the blonde, hunky James Bond? Uh, I can't think. Oh, of um, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is sitting in, um, he's sitting in the National Gallery with mm -hmm. Q and they're sitting in the Sackler Room, which has mm. now finally the name has come down, but it's, that, I mean, it's everywhere. 
Wow. VNA, when I was in uh, London, I don't know, in 19 or just before COVID, the VNA had just opened this beautiful ceramic uh, atrium. Uh, it's an exterior space that's Ooh. called the Sackler. <laughs> Yeah, it's you can always tell boy. like who has the amount of money when you see their names right. uh, on That's something, right. and you're like, oh, your name's all this, blood money, that man. school, that right, this school, that thing, that museum, that yeah. So I went to a museum um, in Philadelphia, and I saw a room named after a family that worked at that came that there's kids went to the school that I worked at, and I was like, oh, y'all got museum museum room money. Oh, that's different money, right? Like that kind right. of. Uh, uh, thing so right. because I'm thinking too if you can give me like money to a museum I believe does that count as like a tax deductible yep. donation all, so when it comes to your all, tax it's like it's charitable giving but it's really good for you when you have to file your income taxes mm. the year after absolutely absolutely and you know the funny thing is about charitable giving taxes I learned this year because I was one of the there's um, annually groups of museum professionals advocate for museums on the federal level. So we go to all the senators' offices. Right now we're doing it virtually. And um, this year, one of the things that we were advocating for was changing the way, so ta the tax break, I think it started in like 17, 1917-ish. Um, and so it's not actually, so people were giving before, right? The Philadelphia Museums you're talking about, that was before, the New York Museums was before. Uh, even the Cleveland Museum of Art was before, it was started um, in 16. So um but that the, it until just recently you've had to be able to itemize you'd have basically have to have a tax uh bracket and basically an accountant right that the idea was that only the super wealthy get to take this tax break so they were trying to say can we do it for people who also just pay like blanket you know like you just do like i earn this much i have this deduction you know mm. like the regular you know i do my own taxes kind of people mm -hmm. they're trying to change mm -hmm. that which shows you how tied um, to kind of writing off wealth museums are. They are completely like a tax break for people. Right, there, I mean, there's a few different institutions. I, we don't have enough time to start talking about churches as well, but you know, right. different sure. things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's so, it is so interesting. And I think, I, I think about the, you know, who's telling the story, how they get, how it gets told, what history, and then what kids are learning. Because if you, yes. if, we are having certain curators and we're showing certain art and we're supplementing education through museum visits because every every kid has been to a museum through school that's who gets to tell what story right and mm -hmm. i just think so so Absolutely. much of it is tied in together yeah that's a great point i mean museums i always believe have maintained is the second largest uh funding uh, sorry funding educating arm of mm -hmm. k-12 audiences if you think hard about it, who is it? Who are they learning from? Right. Like, yes, you could say TV, TikTok, but, you know, a lot of those sources are discounted, right? So, mm -hmm. like, your kid learns something on YouTube, they go to class, maybe the teacher's like, but that's not true. Let's go to a museum. The museums are s sanctioned by schools. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Who's telling the story? Do right. they have the right to tell that story? Are they telling the story correctly? In a, in yes. Full? And it is right. funny, because, I mean, I, I hit, when I was, I worked in a, um, a Montessori school for eight years. And I love that school. Mm -hmm. We would take the kids to the museum. If they were too, if we needed something to do, 
we're going to go find someone to tell us about and whether it was a book or whatever and we took we took kids to museums all the time so i think about who gets to tell the story so we're coming up on like five minutes left this conversation could go on forever and i'm honestly like, this intrigued is so great. i've had yeah. like so many aha moments with right. casting and current Same. art and all of those things I want to ask one last... Ben, do you have anything else you want to ask that won't lead us into another 20-minute conversation? No, no more questions. Okay. I don't have questions okay. like this, no. <laughs> So I think my last question for Seema and our, our Brave Space, last, our last question for you is, are people allowed to ask where things are from? Like, what do you want people to understand and know about museums and ownership and all of these things? Like, if you had to tell somebody who okay we won't use somebody me if you had to tell me walking into a museum what i should know what i should do what i should think about when i'm walking besides the aha moments you already gave what should i know how should i be able to interact with that museum what do yeah, you want people to so, know? that's great i think that the first thing is everyone should ask it's your museum even if it's a private institution it is the public space though it is the same as a library if you mm. think that you have any ownership of your library, if you have any ownership of your garden, you have ownership of your museum collection. So when you're there, and if something seems weird to you, like where did that come from? The first thing you can do is look at the label. And so the label might say something like fifth century AD Syria, right? Now mm. you can then say like, hey, I know something about fifth century AD, or you can say, I don't. And then that's when you can ask people, I would um, guess that the front of house staff there might be overwhelmed. And so you don't necessarily have to ask them, but you can ask the info. Every museum, if you do info at that museum's email, that's probably their, that is probably their info email. And um, you should ask them. And you can also look to, because the other part of this is the money. Where's the money coming from? So if you look to see where the art was purchased from, usually either the very last line of the whole label or the last line of the very top before they start telling you a story is called mm -hmm. the um, is called the attribution, or it'll tell mm -hmm. you about the funding. And it'll say, John Smith Fund. Mm -hmm. Now, if it says the Sackler Fund, and you don't, you have an issue with opioids, you ask them. But anybody who's given money, they have to say where it came from, where they purchased mm -hmm. it from. Gift of the artist, gift of the ex family. You know, they say that. They say when it comes in, they usually say where it came from. So gift of the Sacklers, 2020.14. So that means that in 2020, the Sacklers gave you this. If it says right. gift of, that means they own the object and they gave it to you. If they say fund of, that means they gave them money to buy it and the museum chose it and bought it. My mm -hmm. point is that there's a lot of information there about where the money's coming from and where the objects are coming from. And if you can't decode that, you know, I said it pretty quickly, certainly there's a lot of resources, but you know what? You don't need to, you don't need me. Just email those people. Ask, you could say at the desk, hey, you know, especially if you're there on a weekday, a lot of the education and curatorial staff works um, weekdays. But, you know, I'm really curious about this and I have a personal vested interest, particularly if you are, if it's something that's culturally res responsible, you know, you're part of, mm -hmm. it's your right. You know what, you, you either paid your ticket, you live in that city, whatever it is, you're the public. And they I'm actually ask. I want to be going in these museums asking, yes. asking I, I'm, questions. I'm not, I'm I'm not ready to go with those little placards. I'm ready that's to go right, those placards. That's right. That's right. I got. I was the responder read. to the info for many years, and before email, I'm I'm old enough that we actually, or I'm not old enough, but we had a lot of older visitors. We had um, comment cards, 
And I have to tell you, there was a woman who, if you were, like, you'd get a stack that you had to reply to, and she would say, have you replied to them? Did you call that lady back? And there was one woman, this this is so funny, this woman, poor woman, had no answer phone, as she called it. She had no voicemail. And so, like, I just call her, like, all the time. <laughs> Once a week, you get that number, you get a call. Yeah, but that's our role. That's, you know, and museums actually want to, I, I mean, I used to get sometimes questions, but like, thank you for asking me. Like, I'd get a question about why something was in a label, and I'm like, oh my God, thank you. I am going to start asking. You know what? I, I think, and I, I love this conversation because I'm, I'm going to start asking. I don't think I've ever thought to go into a museum and not just look as, and as my mm-hmm. husband and my mother-in-law do with their hands behind their back. They're like, hmm, hmm. So I'm going to start asking questions. That was the other thing I think we talked about before, as we were prepping is yeah. like, it, museums don't have to be this quiet, sterile space that right. they should be some no. interaction. Yeah. No, they're a leisure space. That's what they're for, actually. They're for us to enjoy objects together. Absolutely. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm just enthralled with this conversation. I know Me the too. next time I um, visit Ben or he visits me, we're going to be going to museums together, wow. asking questions, talking to people. we patrons. Exactly. Exactly. So I just want to say, so thank you so, so much for, for coming on you. and being here. You've taught us so much. And now we have to figure out a way to repay you, engage with you. Um, so pe- where can people, tell, tell us where people can find you, uh, sure. what socials you're on, so that people yeah. also can now ask you questions on your Ask on me your all the socials. questions. Ask me all the questions. I am easiest to find on Twitter, Artlust, or TikTok, Artlust, A-R-T-L-U-S-T. Um, and then all my other info is on there. So you can find my awesome. like email and all that stuff. Go follow Seema because like Seriously, she just taught us so much more right. than I probably learned going with my teacher to the art museum. I, I was always a, a rabble rouser when I was going. I was like telling her I didn't believe dinosaurs were real in the natural history museums, but oh I loved it. And I can't wait to go to these museums with new eyes and new oh, good. questions. Good. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been a great conversation. Awesome. And Ben, thank you for stepping in. We love this. Oh my I gosh, love having this, this conversation. Uh, he was a little nervous, Seema, so I didn't know. How, how do you feel? I was a little terrified. Oh, thank oh, you. No. I was a little terrified. You know what? Once we started talking, I'm like, oh, this is like, this is right in, uh, right out his alley. Exactly. You know, yeah, I will great. say, Seema, what you don't know is like me and Ben have been friends for a while. He spoke at my wedding and it was the most beautiful with convert. Like just, I love hearing him speak. So it was so great. He got to. Speak. I was like, we were like, I was like handing out who was going to speak what at my wedding, and I was like, um, my friend Ben has to do one. He has to do one. So very, we are real. We're life nice. friends, and Aww. now we have a new friend in Seema. Yes. So thank you yeah. so much. Maybe we'll all go to a museum someday. Yeah, that well, if awesome. I can go to a museum with you, like that's gonna be a different oh my gosh, experience. That, that would be, be so yeah. awesome. Awesome, someday. awesome. Someday. Amazing. Awesome. Well, we'll see you all back in two weeks with our next topic and maybe another producer on. We'll, we'll start getting our producers involved, and Mel will hopefully be back next. I'm sure she'll be back in two weeks. Um, and we'll see you here live again. You can find us on all platforms: Spotify, YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, here, live, and also Apple Podcasts. So I can't wait to talk to you all in two weeks, and we'll see you. Roll that outro. I don't know who does it, but roll the outro. (laughs) 